Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, this is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I am in the studio today with Amy Oztan, SelfishMom.com. Hello. Are you still SelfishMom.com? You know what? It's changing this week. Woohoo! Finally. She's finally going to be just Amy Ostan. Is that what it's called? Just Amy Ostan? It's, you know what? It's, it's going to be, it's kind of a mess because it's like it lives on amyostan.com. It'll redirect from Selfish Mom. It'll redirect from amyeverafter.com. And Amy Ever After is kind of the title. But it's all living on amyostan.com so that if I ever change it again, I can just change the name. I don't have to right. change anything else. I think it else. should be just Amy. Yeah. Just Amy. Just Amy. <laughs> And that was Andrew Smith, technology <laughs> guru extraordinaire. We are all in the studio today in this late August. Actually, it's really nice out. Oh, it my is. God. It's gorgeous. Finally had the windows open yesterday, I know, and I too. wasn't dying. It was, like, breezy. Um, I know I actually, like, wanted to cook yesterday and wouldn't be 8,000 degrees. But we have, I think, a really good show today. Yes. We have um, Tanya Weinberg from Save the Children joining us. We're going to talk about Louisiana flooding and what you and your kids can do about it. Um, and how to talk to your kids about giving back, but also about disaster preparedness and how you as your family can get involved in disaster preparedness ne- month next month. Without scaring the crap without out of being, them. Yeah, having the opposite effect, actually, yes. making your kids feel better. And then we're going to talk about the teenage brain and what teenagers really need from parents, which um, we'll see what we think of that. And then we'll have our bites of the week. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. So we are here with our first topic. We have an awesome, super special call-in guest (laughs) that we brought in. Um, We have Tanya Weinberg from Save the Children on the phone with us. Hi, Tanya. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, You know, I had reached out to a friend of mine at Save the Children because there's so much going on about Louisiana, but actually not enough going on about Louisiana. Not enough to make it, you know, to the news every night so that people are aware of it and and know what to do. And, um, And I saw this really great quote from someone, actually might have been the governor, about... Somehow when it's a natural disaster without a name, it doesn't get yeah. the recognition that like Superstorm Sandy, you right. know, like when you give it mm-hmm. a name, it has a thing. That's right. And it certainly doesn't get the attention, I think, of um, a terrorist attack, which yeah. affects way fewer people, way fewer people, but seems to ignite a different kind of fear. Um, and we're talking about tens of thousands of homes Right? Mm-hmm. Um, destroyed, yeah. right? Destroyed. Yeah. yeah. People displaced. And these are families and these are kids. So I wanted to reach out to you guys because you in particular, I know at Save the Children, are so involved and invested in really disaster response. Um, it, and it's not a, an organization that I would have thought of at the top of my head for something like this, but oh my God, how it affects the children. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Um, That is something that we're really dedicated to, putting a focus on the unique needs of kids, because 
I mean, you guys are moms, you know, kids are not just small adults. They have very specific needs, and we have to really pay attention to those when it comes to a time of crisis. So you mentioned some of the numbers. I mean, yes, 60,000 homes have been damaged or destroyed, and, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people in this area that have been, has just been devastated, and 30,000 people rescued. So you can just imagine how this is playing out for the children in the area. Um, they're kind of seeing their community in crisis, their families in crisis, and they need help. And the people who are there to help them, their families need help. So we have to support the family as a whole. So one of the things we do is we go into the shelters because these are really the most vulnerable families. I mean, um, you know, the shelter population um, started out actually higher than during Hurricane Sandy. You know, we've heard people say, yes, the worst since Hurricane Sandy. There's actually more people in the shelters in the beginning, over 10,000 people. Um, It's dwindled down now to about 3,000. So about probably 1,000 children, you know, who really don't have anywhere else to go and and it, it could be really quite some time you know nobody knows you know how are we going to get these families back into homes and how can we make these kids feel safe again so one of the things we do is which we do all over the world i mean in emergencies um you know from the the refugee crisis um in europe and syria uh to you know um hunger crises in africa we create child-friendly spaces where um where refugees or um, displaced people gather and we give children the chance to be kids again because um, they need that you know they need to be able to laugh and to play and to start you know working through their experiences so uh, we have you know trained experts who are very caring and they're with the kids um, encouraging them to draw and kind of giving them the space to talk through you know what they're feeling you know they might draw a picture of their home that has been destroyed um, or you know their mom and and um, you know in need of help um, so this is something they need to go through so that these kind of experiences don't fester and become really long-term um, issues for their their mental health for their development um, it's it's so important. I mean, children are extremely vulnerable right now, um, and they're mm-hmm. out of school. You know, they a lot of right. them are not able to go back, and you can imagine. I mean, there's no you, structure. Yeah, that's right. And, and kids, you know, kids depend on routine. Yeah. I mean, that is what makes them feel safe. And um, so we're trying to, you know, instill a sense of that routine, security, um, an opportunity to play, and give the, the parents a chance to rebuild their lives, have a safe place where they can leave their kids. Because I mean, these shelters are. Oh, they're overwhelming. It's yeah. just cot after cot after cot. Right. You know, there's no necessarily, um, you know, you're sleeping among strangers. So that's a little scary. You need yeah. a place where you know um, that no nobody, you know, can come and, uh, you know, mess with your kid when you have to go wait in line to get assistance. Um, and so that's, that's one of the, the main things we do immediately after a response. What do you think... So, you know, sometimes the biggest response people have is I'm going to send stuff. I'm just going to gather up a bunch of clothes. I'm going to send stuff to animals. And we've seen those articles come out now, right, with the piles and piles of teddy bears that are sitting in a bunker. What, I mean, so people's, right, the response is a great one. They want to help. But what Mm -hmm. do you think in your experience with Save Children is really the best way for people to help? 
Yeah, um, I mean, it really is a financial donation. It's the most efficient way that can allow our, you know, operations to reach the most um, number of people who need the help the most. Um, and so, you know, right now, you know, we, we have um, a whole strategy for a response that will involve, you know, getting kids um, into learning environments, again, helping child care centers rebuild because, again, kids need that kind of safe, nurturing environment where they can recover and start to, you know, learn again and be kids again, but child care centers fall through the cracks. So, you know, these are all the things we want to do in the community, and if we're able to raise that money, we're going to be able to reach more children. We have, you know, toys are wonderful. Um, We have a wonderful, you know, wonderful corporate partners like Toys R Us and and Mattel who are making donations on kind of a large scale that allows us to, you know, really distribute um, something efficiently to to meet the needs. Um, It is overwhelming when people send things. Um, Actually, that happened after the Sandy Hook, Mm -hmm. um, you know, tragedy. Um, I think I think it may have been even I I, I don't want to say the number, but it was so huge. It was hundreds of thousands. I think (laughs) definitely thousands of teddy bears and and stuffed animals. And we have, you know, our IT. Uh, guy had to kind of create a whole uh, strategy of how to distribute these these teddy bears to, to kids who actually needed them in, in other places. And then but how do you even a, store them until you figure right. out, you know, I it, mean, that kind it, of takes away resources from you. It, logistical nightmare, yeah. I had to rent the, you know. So what should uh, people do? I mean, is it just sending a financial donation? And I know there's been so many articles that people yeah. are a little skittish about sending money because now some some organizations don't um, actually use all the money towards what they what people think it's intended for. Yes, and and that is understandable. Um, we have created you know um, a very clear statement on our website that explains that ten percent of um, any donation will be reserved to preposition us to respond to the next disaster because without that, I mean, we couldn't have just jumped right into this um, flood disaster. We need some resources on hand to be able to immediately respond when the need is most urgent. But the rest will go to this particular response. It will not be diverted. Um, so it's it's worth checking that. Um, you know, it's worth checking if how your the charity uh, you want to uh, donate to is rated by organizations like Charity Navigator. You know, we have been a four-star charity for years there. Um, but I mean, yes, it's financial um, financial uh, contributions that will allow us to reach more vulnerable children. But it's also, um, I think, you know. This is an opportunity to check in with your own families, with your own kids. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that we um, do support is helping kids cope with disasters. You know, we have tips on that. Um, Really, uh, you, you know, you don't want young children watching um, this kind of coverage over and over again. You know, you, a young child who sees this on TV and doesn't understand that the, the news repeats every hour or so <laughs> on cable news might actually think this is a disaster happening over and over again. So you, you really have to be, you know, thoughtful about how, how you limit exposure to these kind of things to, with your children. And listen to your kids, you know, what they're, what they're thinking about this situation. Um, talk to them about it in an age-appropriate way and and help them feel empowered to help too um, you know one of the things we sometimes suggest is you know kids if they want to get involved they can write a letter to um, you know 
other children who are affected by a disaster. You can identify a school that might be um, a partner in in an exercise like that. Um, We had children um, from uh, Hurricane, who had been affected by um, Hurricane Sandy, then write to the children who were affected by um, tornadoes in Oklahoma, you know, and kind of encourage them, um, draw pictures for them. Um, So there's all sorts of ways, you know, that you can get your kids thinking about um, children who are in need and maybe taking a compassionate action like that or writing to a first responder um, and sending a letter of encouragement. I mean, that's that's a, a, a way that a child can feel really connected um, and it can be really encouraging for the people on the ground. That's great. And I, I think that sort of segues into this whole idea of disaster preparedness, which I know you guys are really actively working on for September yeah. for Disaster Preparedness Month. And I love, so uh, for our listeners, just so they know, this is actually a month um, of <laughs> disaster preparedness. <laughs> and I know for those of us in New York, I think after 9-11, not really after Sandy, but after 9-11, yeah. it was all of a sudden really drilled into us to have this disaster preparedness yeah. bag if you had to as take a New Yorker. Off. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then we all got lazy, right? Like, I mean, right. I honestly had bottled water that exploded in my kitchen because we never used it for so long mm. that we thought we had a leak in our <laughs> well, kitchen. Well, it's really funny because, as you all know, we just moved last week. And you should see, I mean, I found cans of food, bottled water, flashlights, right. batteries, like a whole stockpile of stuff in my basement pantry in the back of a cabinet that I completely forgot I had so that if we did have a, a blackout or any like, kind of emergency, I would have not even remembered it was there. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that, about what you Complacency. can do, um, especially if your kids are scared, right? You have to walk a fine line between um, reassuring your kids that they're prepared, but also not freaking them out that it's like going to happen. So it's an interesting balance. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. Again, going back to that idea of routine, you know, um, you know, when kids, sometimes families worry, will their kids be scared by drills in school? But um, when it's part of a routine and it's something that you do, um, you know, kids are so adaptable and they, they roll with it. Um, I think that is a common fear that parents have, that um, preparedness is somehow going to freak your kids out. And so it, it kind of like, you feel like, oh, I don't want to go there, and you kind of put it off, and you put it off. But actually, research shows that when you prepare and you involve your kids in the process, they they feel safer, um, not scared, and they are more resilient um, if a disaster actually happens. And so we've been trying to find ways to kind of get people over that hump, whatever it is that's keeping them back. I mean, it's great that you guys actually put your kits together, and it is something you should check in on um, every six months or a year. And I think that's why, you know, FEMA has created uh, National Preparedness Month and a preparathon. The actual day is September 30th, and they have another one April 30th. So those days maybe are the days you check in on your kit and make sure everything is up to date. Um, but we really want to get kids, you know, involved um, because we feel like if the kids bring the messages to the parents, maybe the, me- the parent, you know, it's one thing to ignore, um, you know, entreaties from the government or even a nonprofit like ourselves, get prepared, get prepared. But if your kids come home and start asking you questions about it, well, maybe you're going to feel a little more motivated. So with that in mind, we created a a fun song and dance that we're calling the Prep (laughs) Step. And it is just so cute. You have to check it out. It's at um, savethechildren.org slash prep step. 
and it's it's actually a really nice story behind it. It 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 well, first of all, it has three basic messages that kids can take home to their parents, and parents can take action on with their kids together. And what are those steps? So. First prep step would be make sure your kids know their ice contacts. What is an ice contact in case of emergency? So um, your kid might be old enough to memorize their phone number um, or, you know, one or two phone numbers, or they might not. Um, It's really important to have those contacts with them when you're separated from your child, which 69 million American families are separated from their kids every day. So, um, you know, we have to think ahead. You never know what could happen, and we hope nothing does, but let's be prepared. So we have um, on our, if you go to that same page, you can click right through to make an ICE card. We recommend that you have two local contacts and an out of town contact because you know if there's an emergency local communications might be very very well might be down so we want to be able to reach grandma you know out of state or whoever it might be where everybody can kind of use that person as a point person right and then the other two prep steps you know make a plan practice it together as a family so you're you know Again, going back to will your kids be scared? They'll be a lot less scared in the case of an emergency if this is something that has been practiced with you. And they know how to follow directions, how to follow your lead. And they know that you care about them and are there to protect them. That is very empowering for a child. And then the the disaster supplies. Again, you can click right through on that prep step page to, um, you know, the checklist of what you should gather and make a go bag for your kids. Um, You know, uh, this is something that uh, kids can have fun making with you. Um, They'll put in, you know, some basic hygiene items, toothbrush, washcloth, soap, um, any medicines that you want to make sure to be able to grab if you have to take off quickly, Um, and also some activities that that your child would enjoy, and a comfort toy, you know, if you ever did need to evacuate your home, you know, what's something that your child could really take comfort in and, and, you know, cuddle with that would make them feel more secure. So these are some of the things. And and then just going back to the story of the song, I mean, this was actually um, sung by kids who survived the Oklahoma tornadoes that were really devastating, destroyed a couple schools and child care centers. These kids were in a child care center where the roof was ripped off. Wow. And, um, you know, because the, you know, the, the staff there had practiced their drills, they were in the safest possible place they could be, which was an internal room with no windows, the bathroom, you know, and, and these children, thank God, were, you know, were safe. Um, but, you know, they have really embraced preparedness at a whole other level, as you can imagine now. And, you know, these are kids who have flashbacks when, you know, there's bad weather. Um, but they have become, it has become part of their routine, doing these drills. We've now helped them build a, a storm shelter so that if they feel safe, they don't have to be inside the building anymore. Um, and they're the ones singing, you know, the song um, because uh, they are really, you know, they know how important preparedness is. They want to help other kids get involved. And, you know, they're kind of spreading the message, which is we just think it's beautiful and we love those kids. So, <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, we'll have links to all of that on our show page on Facebook and on our website. And thank you so much for joining us today. I think this is all great information for parents. It's not something people like to think about a lot, but it's yeah. like you said, once you do and you put a plan in action, it's actually peace of mind for everybody. Absolutely. Thank you so much. For Thank you for time. joining us. Thanks, Absolutely. Sonia. My pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. We will be right back with our second topic, what teens need most from their parents. 
to play it. A new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. So this week, we are brought to you by Kapari Beauty. If you're like me, the shelf space in your bathroom is precious real estate. Okay, first of all, there's four of us sharing a bathroom, so you don't even know how true that is. And there's three shelves, so you can imagine the fight in our medicine cabinet. That's why I'm excited to introduce you to a line of beauty products that's as great at multitasking as you are. Kapari. These are products that moisturize skin and hair, smell great, but without any sulfates, silicones, GMOs, and parabens. Instead, Kapari products are made with 100% organic coconut oil. Kapari makes great products like a coconut sheer oil, which is light and perfect as a facial moisturizer. Okay, so true story, because <laughs> I've tried every single one of these products. Um, I've been using the Kapari facial oil under my eyes in the morning, actually, because I don't like, like, I just usually wear sunscreen. Um it's so nice and light and like any kind of like morning lines or whatever you have around your eyes like gone really and then my sunscreen glides on oh I, but you know me i have that thick mineral sunscreen it's so right i can't recommend so it, makes it nice and smooth and my daughter's and in all these dried out um mosquito bites wow yeah, I'm, I'm telling you it was wow. awesome um they have a coconut balm for intense soothing and smoothing of super dry skin a coconut crush scrub that buffs you beautiful and you use it dry which I found out later. A coconut body glow that gives you a natural all-over shimmer, and that my daughter stole from me. And, of course, <laughs> the original coconut melt. They did. It's, it looks like gold glitter in a bottle. And, but it's oh, but that's oil. nice for sun when they're yes, tan and you put it on your tan. shoulders. Yes, and, yeah, so now yeah, they yeah. glisten like freaking superheroes. It's, <laughs> and it's really light. It's not greasy at all. So I love, I'm actually super into it. I'm almost done with the coconut balm Uh-oh. because I've been using it. Wow. The coconut balm is my favorite. It's um, it's the balm. It's the balm. It's totally, because <laughs> it's not, you think it would be greasy because that's right. coconut oil and it's totally not. And I, I just love the smell of coconut products. Yeah. But it doesn't smell like um It doesn't smell like drug store right. coconut. Right. It doesn't it smells smell like actual yeah. yeah. It's a very light scent. It's not one of those weirdo like you know when you get next to one of those people on the subway or something, and you can yeah. tell they have all this coconut stuff yep. on them and you're like, Oh my god. It doesn't smell like that at all. They searched around the world for an oil of the highest quality with a great aroma, as we just said, a non gritty texture that you can apply head to toe. I do also use it on the ends of my hair. Really? Because as you all know, I flat iron all the time. (laughs) That's true. But I use it on the ends of my hair, and it makes a huge difference, too. So say aloha to the best skin and hair of your life with Kapari. Go to kaparibeauty.com slash parenting to get 20% off your order. I want to do that today. (laughs) That's kapari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty dot com slash parenting for 20% off. And then tell us which one is your favorite, because I'm telling you, especially... I think this like great summer, like post suns care, and then I can see how it's going to be awesome in the winter. I wouldn't think when to use really it in your hair. It's so good in the huh. ends of your hair. I um, I mean, I have friends. I have um, Indian friends who use coconut oil all the time. Like they mm-hmm. grew up putting coconut oil in their hair. And I always thought that was crazy, and now now you know. Oh, now I know. It actually makes a huge difference on your ends, especially. So check it out, kaparibeauty.com/parenting. Let us know what you think. Talking tech, apps, entertainment, and issues around parenting the digital generation. This is Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Okay, we are back with topic two. What teens need most from their parents? This was a Wall Street Journal article by Sue Schellenbarger. 
barger. We don't know. Shell, Sue can tell us <laughs> if we said it right. Um, and it's all about the teenage years are mystifying for parents. But she really, so what's cool about this article is it's based on longitudinal research about the role parents play in helping kids navigate the, we're probably the worst decade of everybody's life involved. Yes, parents and kids alike. Yes. yes. Um, and what I liked about it is they broke it down into ages, which I thought was nice. It kind of reminded me of the whole what to expect when you're expecting. Yes. Like, because, you know. It, but not it was, condescending. Right. <laughs> well, we're not going to go there. Um, yes, it was more <laughs> like, you know, because I think parents forget that when they ask a 12-year-old to do something, a 12-year-old brain is not capable of all the things that parents think that they can do. And so right. this was really interesting yeah. to me in hindsight going, darn, I wish I had known that. Um, <laughs> Poor Andrew spent half the show like, I wish I had done that. <laughs> half the show going, I could have been a better parent you if I just listening parent. to parenting advice. If only advice. our podcast existed. <laughs> so everybody listen to this advice because it's good advice. But it really lets you know, like, you know, here's what your kid can handle and here's what they can handle. And so you're setting yourself and them up for disappointment yeah. and, you know, not meeting expectations if you think they can do more. And I, I really liked that about the way this was broken down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it was very rational. It's very, so one of the things it talks about is when like puberty kicks in at 11 or 12, that's sort of when they regress, ironically enough. Yeah, I'm going through that right now. (laughs) So spatial learning and certain kinds of reasoning decline at this age, which I think is unbelievable. And parts of the brain responsible for perspective memory or remembering what you are supposed to do. Yep. Are still maturing. Yeah. So this is why a teen may seem clueless if asked to give the teacher a note before school. Or like when I emptied my daughter's backpacks this summer and found every nurse's note from the year, <laughs> like six things I was supposed to sign. I mean, it was unbelievable. I went to the recycling. So um, one of the things it said is to help them with that by like jogging their memory. So yeah. if they need their gym stuff, like it's left by the door. It's sort of all of those things you're teaching them organizational stuff. Which makes sense because I don't just remember things spontaneously. I have to hang things on the doorknob mm-hmm. for myself. I live by my Google Calendar. So I don't know why I tend to expect more out of my kids. You know, <laughs> like you need to give them the tools. You can't yes, just say, right. do this. You can, you know, help like put a note somewhere. Right. We have, because um, we have steel doors, because we live in an apartment. Luck- so. Oh, I loved it when we had a steel door. We had magnets all yeah, over it. Yeah, so I have yep. this giant whiteboard magnet, basically, <laughs> on the front door that has, you know, whatever Do you have was. your keys? Right. Like, when they were leaving for camp, I was like, retainers! Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, in big letters. And now we'll be back at the school year, and I'll say, keys, metro card, you know, right. whatever it is. Um, but it is right there, and I put, like, our dry cleaning stuff there for me, because I do the yeah, same thing right. for me. But it, so this was really interesting where they studied, now there's only 188 kids, which I'm like, does that make a study? But okay, they said so. That um, mothers who are warm, affectionate, and approving during disagreements versus mother who became angry and argumentative. The teens at 16 who had the affectionate moms when they were 12 showed brain changes linked to lower rates of sadness and anxiety and greater self-control. Hmm. Uh-oh. Now, who's warm and affectionate during a disagreement. Right. Like- okay, so <laughs> so my son, when he, uh, so he had to have been at least 16, probably 17, because he was driving, um, drove my car, and decided that they had this game in Ridgewood, uh, Dart Wars or something. And so he oh, and his friend, he must have been 17, because he could only have one person in the car, <laughs> went chasing another kid in my car, thank you very much, 
for this Dart Wars game, and I get a call at work at ABC News where I'm in a studio in Cantac, and it's like, Mom, I backed the car into a pole. You know, and when and I had to send a friend to go rescue them, get them out. And once I was able to figure out what was going on, I was so mad. And then by the time I actually got home, I picked him up. We got the tow truck. We videotaped the car being towed away. And we went for ice cream. Hmm. And I just thought to myself, at this moment, you know, he is going to remember that I still love him, that he's an idiot, you know, (laughs) but it's okay. He's got to get a job, but I love him and we'll figure it out. And so we went for ice cream. And he just told that story to friends the other day saying, yeah, well, I totaled the car and my mom took me for ice cream. (laughs) So there you go. I was a good parent. So maybe the lesson is you need a lot of time. You need time in between. You need the time out before you confront your kid. That's exactly That's probably a lesson about everything. Because what would he have learned if I just screamed. I mean, he was upset enough with himself for right. what he had done. Well, I think the difference is, like, when I have these little daily, hourly arguments with my daughter, <laughs> it's all about, it's usually not something she's done. It's attitude. It's, you know, it's pushback. But thank goodness when she comes to me with things, you know, then I'm able to be more calm. I think those are the important moments. It's not, like, it's impossible for me to be nice to her when she's being right. a brat. Like, right. that's just not going to happen. How about just the random freak out? See, that's what I do. Like, where all of a sudden I've asked them to pick up their clothes, let's say, like a well, hundred times, and then finally I walk into the room and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot deal anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, it looks and like. And you just lose it. And I just lose yeah. it. Well, I just take all their crap and I throw it at them on the bed, and I'm like, if this doesn't get put away in 10 minutes, like, there's no news clothes for back to school, like, that's it. Like, I've told you 15 times all week. Like, it wasn't even like right. in one day. It's like over the course of a week saying, pick up your laundry, pick up your laundry. Well, I mean, that's laundry. the difference between me and my husband. You can see him ramping up, you can see the slow burn, you can see that he's going to erupt. My my ramp up is internal. You can't see it. So they think that I'm calm. But then like there's that straw and I just I totally snap and I lose my shit. Completely. So how does that correspond the to the age range in the right? Is that Are not your what I'm children supposed to do? Capable of that? Not, it might be what the mom needs, however. This is my favorite line from this whole thing is yeah. parents should brace themselves for what is often a wildly emotional passage. Yeah. Right. Duh. So let's let's on that note move to age 13 to 14. Because 13 14, that's where that line comes from. 13 14 turns out it's the worst. Um, so young teens Wait, become sensitive. Wait, my daughter's 12. We're not in the worst, not yet. There the worst yet. yet. Oh, my God. Um, young teens become sensitive to peers' opinions and react strongly to them, yet the social skills they need to figure out what their peers really think won't be fully mature for years, making uh. this a confusing and potentially miserable time. Teens' response to stress goes haywire, sparking more door slamming and tears. The impact of social stress peaks at this time. Of adults with mental disorders... Often triggered by stress, 50% received a diagnosis before age 15. Hmm. It also shows that ages 11 to 15, they become sad and anxious when subjected to social stresses as exclusion, and adults do not show the same effect. Which, I guess that makes sense, right? It's sort of where you're learning to deal with being excluded. Whereas adults, you're like, I don't care. Thank God I didn't have to go out. (laughs) Oh, and you you get to to 40 and you're just like, F everything. (laughs) You're like, I don't want to go out. You're like, what? Don't invite me. (laughs) Please don't invite me. But it does. So here's what it says you can do. Decode peers' social cues and model healthy coping behavior like exercise and meditation. Coach teens on friendship skills, including how to read their peers' expressions and body language, which... I'm sorry, that's kind of hard. 
It's not every yeah, parent because it you don't be, know the kid. You don't know the kids, and not everything's so universal. And well, and also everything friends. is by text. So you <laughs> right. know how to read the emoji. How to read the emotion in a text right. message well, usually, is very difficult. So the the discussion I have all the time with my girls is that you can't. Yeah. So mm-hmm. stop reading into it. Yeah. Don't read yep. into text messages. Don't read into emails, which we as adults do too. Everyone reads it with their own tone right. and how mm-hmm. they think that conversation's going. You're like, why'd you put an exclamation point? Why did you put a bit? Like, I don't know. Maybe it was autocorrect. Like, no one cared. Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing happened. But um, this is what I thought was interesting. And this is the conversation I've been having with my daughters is encourage them to choose friends based on shared interest, not and she wrote popularity and I would say perceived popularity mm-hmm. because I think that is always a bunch of ball um, and teach them how to apologize, make amends and compromise because that's the important stuff. And then, of course, it says, you know, if you have more familiar companionship and things like that, they feel better if they have a people they can go to at home. But that I think, you know, we talk a lot about finding your people. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's when that happens is high school in particular because there's so many clubs you have so much more availability it's not the after school things your parents yeah you can choose more and you can sort of figure that out and I always find in those things I mean I'm not talking about like cheerleading I'm not talking about things that may have audition tryout uh, you know a certain ranking in a high school I'm talking about things that actually your kid might genuinely be interested in Mm -hmm. um they're really generally welcoming in all those clubs because they need more of whatever. Right, you need more people. You don't want to turn away. And they're people like you. They're people who have the same Mm -hmm. interest. But that's interesting because, I mean, Matt's friends, who he is still friends with to this day, are the friends he made in junior high school. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Now, they moved with him to high school. Okay. uh, Which is what happens in the suburbs, which is why I went there. Right. Right. You all went um, to the same school. You know, those were the friends who stuck with him. Now, even though he met new kids in high school and he played football and developed friendships with people on the football team because it was a shared interest, those friendships didn't last. It was. Hmm. It's funny. It's the same with me. I mean, my closest friend in the whole world mm-hmm. I met in seventh grade. Um, but I also went from elementary to middle to high school with mm-hmm. almost the same people who stayed with me throughout. But most of those friends I don't have anymore. I mean, I have them on Facebook. I don't have them for real. Right. But my my closest friend, I mean, she was my, and we met in seventh grade at a bottom spell. That's, that's my best we were only in school also seventh grade. I'm barely friends with anybody from elementary school, and I was in that school for nine years. It's the high school friends. You were in elementary st- school for nine years. Well, that's how it was. I went in Buffalo. Like you, there was like pre-K through eight. Oh, okay. Oh, and then eight. I think the suburbs had like the middle school thing. But no, right. we did pre-K mm-hmm. through eighth and then high school. So I was with this group of kids for nine years and I think I talked to two of them still. Right. And really it's only on Facebook. But I mean, you should, I mean, I have this conversation with my daughters all the time too. Like friends change. Right. People come in and out of your life at different times for different reasons and that's all good too. And, you know. Are you able to teach them what the article says, which is how to apologize, you know, and how to make amends because I think for kids that age, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you start with, and like everyone does, in your home, right? Yeah. So if they've done something to you or you've done something to them, you apologize. Certainly between the siblings, that mm-hmm. is a, such a huge thing, and it takes the longest, yeah. those apologies. <laughs> but I think that's your first teaching is just, you know, when it happens at home. I don't, you know... It's hard with friends, right? It's hard to yeah. be the apologist. Kids are very black and white at that age, too. They're not really gray, so it's either I'm wrong or they're wrong. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of peer stuff, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of like, oh, I can't believe she said that to you, and I can't, I can't believe he did this. So then you have all these people egging you on. Yeah. that it, it, And a lot of saving wrong. face yeah. and all yeah. that bull. A lot of, um, I have to say, it's one of the things I also love about camp 
is that stuff gets worked out at mm-hmm. camp because they do not allow that to happen at camp. Mm-hmm. So at camp, when that stuff starts to go on, like there's a powwow, there's a discussion, there's so they're way more on top of it than ever a school would be or even our, because they're living together. they're together all the right. time. They're yeah. like siblings. They're yep. seven weeks. They're all living together. Um, okay, so let's move on to what's hopefully the better, <laughs> which is 15 and 16. Come on, 15 and 16. Um, it says... The appetite for risk-taking peaks at this age. Yay. Car driving. Why, why would it get any better? Um, the reward receptors are blossoming, amplifying adolescents' response to dopamine. I mean, it's actually like real stuff, which we've talked about in the Teenage Brain book. Which such is such an still, excellent. You yeah. know, let's put another link to that because yes. that's such a great it's book. The best book. Um, right. Instead of like, you know, everyone does like the first birthday gift. Like maybe if you have a friend whose kid is turning thirteen, buy them buy that them book. This book. Yep. Um, it makes thrill-seeking more desirable than it ever mm-hmm. will be again. Fears of danger are suppressed during adolescence, which is crazy, rooted in the evolutionary need to leave home. Um, and it says, begin the ability to make and keep good friends is especially useful at this age. So... I- I don't even know what to do. I mean, but it, that's it when just you're says terrified. encourage healthy friendships. Like, yeah. that's their advice. There's not a lot, <laughs> so, not a lot of advice here. <laughs> well, by the time um, they're 15 and 16, you know, they're they're handling it themselves, hopefully. Right. It says you have to be supportive, know that they're there. Like, those kids take may, might take fewer risks or have fewer consequences for their risks. It's the worst. I mean, what can you yeah. do? It's, like, biological. And it's terrifying. Because they really are, you know, taking risks physically, yeah. emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, doing things that you're horrified at. Right. That yeah. we all did. Yeah. That we were all oh, yeah. stupid. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's part of it as a parent, too, is you know how dumb you were. Right. You have to oh, remember so what dumb. you did. Right. You know you, so, were, so dumb. you know you were dumb and lucky. Yep. Right? Like, that is the bottom if line. If you're still here. If you're still here, you were dumb <laughs> and lucky. Um, and then ages 17 to 18, which is... I thought this was cool. The brain's ability to change and develop are evident at this stage, and some teens even show increases in IQ hmm. at that age. Which And um, intellectually gifted teens are most likely to have changed gains in IQ scores then um, if they're being challenged. And it says older teens put the brakes on emotions and risk-taking, and the problem-solving and strategy-planning skills are developing. So I thought that was really cool. It says they're more likely to start showing empathy, um, you know, they still lack the ability to decipher people's motives and attitudes in complex social situations, but they are definitely widening the world, getting more empathy, getting a little bit out of themselves. So here's my question about all of this. We've talked a lot about how stunted in many ways this generation is by so much helicopter parenting, by this lack of independence. I wonder if all these things are now going to be pushed forward. Later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's what I wonder. That's an interesting question. Well, I mean, so much of it is is just hardwired in the brain. I don't know how much of it can be pushed. What's interesting, so this really talks about ages in a very concrete way, but I think a lot of it relates to when a kid hits puberty. So if you have a kid... And some kids hit later. Or some hits later, so this might be a much more far-reaching thing, and some kids hit way earlier and, and girls yeah, certainly statistically yeah. they're hitting much earlier right now. and girls always hit it earlier yeah. well, I mean on the vast norm so it makes sense when you think that girls mature faster they actually are yeah. not just physically but they're, if this is part of the brain development it's hitting it I mean basically this whole article is for for the parent part after you get over like the oh my god oh my god <laughs> um, it's just what we always say right it's like be supportive mm-hmm. be there yep. 
push your kids a little. Don't just let them get away with everything. I heard an interesting term. I'll link to this article. It was an article about being a lifeguard parent. Did you see oh, that? Oh, I saw that no. article today. Yeah, you know, like there's helicopter parents, there's snowplow parents. This is a lifeguard parent where like you you just kind of make sure that you're watching over them but not jumping in unless they're really in over their heads. You mm. have to give them a chance to figure it out for themselves. Like, I, I love right. that term. Lifeguards I like don't that. do that. Lifeguards aren't like, maybe that drowning person will figure it out. No, but, <laughs> but like, you know, they, you, I was a lifeguard. Like, you right. only go in when somebody is really struggling. You don't say, hey, you know, why, why, why don't you be careful out there? Like, you you, you completely right. back off until they're really in trouble. They do at some resorts. They okay, blow, they shouldn't. They, they blow that whistle on them. They're like, they, cut it out. <laughs> You're swimming in the wrong area. Yeah. But, but those are rules. No, I mean, but I get different. The point. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. you you yeah. don't you don't jump in when you see somebody maybe swimming into an area that you think is too deep for them. Right. Is what I'm saying. You wait and see how they handle it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's so funny that we just so want to label all these different ways to parent, um, and they all boil down to the same thing. Like Being I think a loving, becomes, kind, supportive right. parent. Right, you know, and and also understand your kids. No, because people who are hovering think that they're being loving and kind and supportive, and and it's damaging. Like I really, I'm sorry. I hate this idea that everybody's just doing the best they can and it's all okay. Like, but we've shown that some that of it they is not really okay. Don't know how intrusive they're being. I think some of them really honestly think that they are doing the best thing for their children. You know, like if you read their Facebook posts, they really think that those of us who give our kids independence and push them think that we, they think we're insane. They think that we're putting our children in danger. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes I think they really do think that. And sometimes I just think it's all their own. It's just their own fear. So it's helping them feel better of their because their own anxiety. And it's actually has doesn't have that much to do with their kid in so many ways. They're just don't feel in control of anything else so like this they can do this they can or feel they can like, try to do right or they had parents who were so hands-off that then they felt like they're making up for that like it's always well down or to your it's own also sort of like what crazy. your expectations are for your kid but right. that's not always going to happen what you think your kid is going to become or do is not necessarily no. what's going to happen and i think a lot of people have expectations my kid's going to go to this school and they're going to do this and they're going to get these grades and they're going to love to speak another language and travel and they push their kids towards that without really seeing what the kids want to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's what part of the problem is. Right. And I think that's the thing about teenagers, right, is it may be the first time where they're deciding what they want to do yeah. and it freaks parents out. And mm-hmm. rightly so. It's weird to see your kid, you know, mm-hmm. make decisions that maybe you would never make um, or be attracted or to kids. Or that you think are wrong for never, them. Right. Yeah. That's, it's very hard. And I don't think that ever stops, right? It doesn't stop. Maybe the person they never. pick to marry. Never. Maybe, right? There's, there's never. It almost gets a, worse because the stakes are bigger. Right. Now you got to bring someone to your family. Yeah. Oh, we're, not, we're not there. Uh, we'll go there. <laughs> right. We will be right back with our bites of the week on that lovely note. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We are back with our Bites of the Week. Last week, Andrea went first. I did. You weren't here, Amy. No, no, no. So I can't go first from not here. Um, so, Amy, you get to go first. Okay, so this is, um, we, we talk about technology and children and parents, and this is, um, this is the intersection of that in the best possible way. Um, there's this 
not study, but I guess a trial happening at a uh, at a hospital in where is it? Oh, in Oakland. Um, this guy who was like a game developer and a techie guy, he came up with this idea for kids in pain. Um, how could he lessen their pain? How could he distract them? So he created a virtual reality world that's um, you floating underwater and you know there are dolphins and there are turtles and there's cool. soft music playing you know it can't be too stimulating it can't bring any stress it's there's a little bit of a game like you can throw balls and make things change colors but it's really just a calming environment and it's just all-encompassing and they're using it on these kids at this hospital who have sickle cell disease which is incredibly painful i mean these kids have to be in the hospital on heavy medication for days at a time and even the medication doesn't take away all the pain but they bring in this virtual reality game and they let the kids you know just be in that world for 15 minutes or half an hour and the kids just love it it just it it i guess what ha- he said what happens is the brain can only handle so much stimulation and so if you give them this really rich world to be in, it, the brain can't handle all the pain. It mm. just goes to the background. Right. So, you know, hopefully this will expand and they can treat more people with it because it's, it's like literally lessening their pain with this virtual reality game. So I'll, I'll link to that That's article. Cool. I just thought it was fantastic. That's cool. That's very cool. Andrew. All right. I'm on kids also. So a couple of weeks ago after the show, I went and had lunch with um, the CEO of a company called Owlet Care. And what was so great about it is uh, I, when I was at Mashable, I got in 2013, I think, I wrote an article about a prototype that he developed in college. I think it was uh, Brigham and Young has a great program for kids to, you know, develop all kinds of technologies and uh, lots of cool things have come out of there. But what was cool was it was a prototype. It wasn't a product. Um, and he he told me just recently received so many emails and outpouring of, oh, my God, you have to make this, that he has now made uh, the Outlet Smart Baby Sock. He has a viable company, oh, a viable wow. product that has shipped. They've gone through four iterations. They finally have, you know, their final product. That's um, cool. And it's awesome. What it is, is it's a pulse oximeter, you know, that measures your oxygen levels and your heart rate. And it it's all boiled down to a teeny tiny little sock. It's made for infants, I'm going to say up to six or seven months old, because really after that, you're not worried about SIDS anymore. But right. it's a way for parents to not have to tiptoe into the room at night and go, oh, my God, is he still breathing? You know, that fear and panic yes. uh, or listening for the baby monitor, you know, for some sort of cough or sound. Um, and it works via Bluetooth and lets you know on an app or on a base station what the oxygen rate is and what the heart rate is. And you know if your baby rolls over, if there is some sort of problem, you'll get an immediate notification that your baby's heart rate is dropping or oxygen level. And they've, you know, they've developed this as a way to prevent SIDS. And I think it's just, you know, That's it's great. not for being a helicopter parent. No, it's no, not no, for no. knowing real... every single thing. Yeah. It's for preventing SIDS, and I think it's awesome. So I it's do. called Owlet. It's made, uh, the website is owletcare.com, and we'll post a link to it uh, on our Facebook page. Cool. And the website. And the website. And the website. All right. So I have been trying. So Sunrise, which was my calendar, calendar was bought by Microsoft, and they killed it. Um, and I do not like the Google Calendar app. And I have been trying every calendar organization thing possible. 
Um, so I've been using a calendar app called Fantastical, and it is the closest I've come. It is still not as good as Sunrise because Sunrise used to also pull in, like if you had meetings, it would pull in that person's LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. Like it was just oh, so beautiful, great. Um, but it at least takes all of your different calendars that you might have, puts like organizes them by color so you can see everything at once by a glance. It has a lot of different views. It allows you to RSVP. So no matter, you know how like if you get someone sends something to one calendar email and then but maybe you only look at one calendar like I have this where I have like my kids use email my personal email oh, I run into that all the time and I can't says, even RSVP from right. the one that you send so on Fantastical I can RSVP to all of them neat and instead of it just saying like busy which just happens to me sometimes if like something was on one calendar mm. that which makes me crazy um, it shows me what it was from and this was the first thing now I don't know maybe this is an iPhone thing that's new but you ever make a conference call and then you have to go back to find the pin number or the yes yeah yes it takes the whole thing and then it dials when i dial when i go from fantastic Hal's appointment i click the conference call line it launches it and then it keeps the pin and it puts the pin in yes and then it says oh. dial that underneath and i was like Yes. yes. Now dial that. <laughs> so I'm now a huge That's fan. That's cool. So it's called Fantastic Al. Mm. I did pay for it. I feel like it was like a dollar ninety nine or two. But what happens if like I booked a flight, you know, and it automatically shows up on my Google Calendar? It goes in. It it does if go in. If you have linked your Google Calendar, yeah. So I have all of my different, not like four different Google Calendars are all in there. Only four yeah. with a different. Got to show calendar. you my calendar sometimes. Well, I don't Sad. get things on my other. Like I didn't link my other Gmails that I don't get calendar right. invites on. So because I don't want random people's birthdays. Like I that, and I could shut mm-hmm. all that off, which was also great. Like no no birthdays. Yeah. I can do U.S. Yeah. holidays. The New York City schools now had a Google download thingy mm-hmm. that I upload, so I don't. Oh, it's all automatically, and they in. do it for the alternate side parking too. That would too. be very cool. Yep. So it's been really great. The best thing to me is the RS being able to RSVP mm-hmm. to all my different calendars from there too. Um, so everything shows up. Whatever calendar you put in there is going to show up in there. So um, I feel like hmm, you need to say it with jazz hands. Fantastical. <laughs> okay, we'll give it a try. Um, so give it a try. That is our show for today. We will have links to everything we talked about today. Um, please check out the Save the Children website. Mm-hmm. Give to Louisiana. Give in general and start a preparedness kit for your family. Um, why not? Like, there's nothing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's never going to go like wrong. So just have one. Um, and well, links to all the other cool stuff, including the teenage brain. Hmm. Um, we will see you in the new school year. Wow. <laughs> Bye. Bye.